0: Hey everyone, this is Ben with the Blue Ribbon Coalition. We are here for the Defend Your Ground podcast. I For the episode this week, we're on episode 40. We have another episode that's part of our Last Known Position series, which is where we invite search and rescue volunteers to come and educate our members, our users, our listeners about ways that they could be more responsible and safe when they go and participate in their favorite forms of outdoor recreation. Tonight, I've invited Tyler St. Gior. I hope I said the name right. It looks a little French, and so I can always mess those <laughs> up. Um, uh, and he is from the Wasatch County Search and Rescue team is where he's volunteered. He also currently works as part of the ski patrol of ski resort in the Park City area of Utah. And so, Tyler, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background in search and rescue, and so that people know why they should listen to what you're telling
1: them. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, like you, my name's Tyler. Like you said, um, I grew up here in in Heber, in Utah. Um, grew up, you know, an avid snowmobiler. Snowmobiling's always kind of been my my number one passion and pastime that I like to do. So, um, yeah, I got on search and rescue uh, in two thousand ten, which was actually the same year I started ski patrolling as well. So, um, yeah, going on fourteen years, I guess, for both things now. Um, But yeah, I love love being outside, especially in the winter months, and I'm lucky that I get to kind of work in that world as well.
0: Yeah, that's a great part of the state of Utah to live in if you love winter recreation and summer recreation. Some of my favorite mountain recreation experiences have happened up in that area. I used to, you said you worked at canyons. I used to snowboard there all through college, would hunt the powder days. I've gone backcountry hella boarding there since my brother runs a helicopter company and they do contract work for powder birds and so i've gone and oh cool my whole life growing up we'd beg our dad to take us hella boarding and he's like no (laughs) these are just for working (laughs) And, uh, and then my brother took over the company and he let me and my brother go once and so i love those mountains they're awesome and the snow you get there is, is the greatest snow on earth. And so and we have done some snowmobiling in there in that area as well. When I was a kid, we'd go up into like the Alpine Loop and the backcountry of that Typponogos area. And so you're a lucky man. Uh, yeah. you've lived definitely. there since 2010. I, I my guess is you've seen a lot change in that area. And uh my that used to just be a little town there, Heber was in 2010, and now it's a lot of people have moved in. Well, the, those areas have become very popular for outdoor recreation, so my guess is you've been pretty busy as a search and rescue volunteer with a lot of going on in an area that's grown in popularity in Utah. Uh, let's start off talking about a story. We like to kind of root this, these discussions and stories of actual rescues, and I want you to think about a rescue you've been on. I mean, you're an experienced outdoor recreation enthusiast. It sounds like you've involved in a lot of different forms of outdoor recreation yourself. You probably know what you're doing in the backcountry on any given day. Have there been some rescues you've been on where you kind of walked away from that saying, I'm going to do things differently. Even as experienced as I am, I learned something from what happened.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I, I think you learn something from every call that you go on, or at least hopefully most people do. I, I like to to think that I do, and one thing I always have have found helpful for me is to kind of try to put myself in their shoes, and it's, it's kind of surprising. Sometimes you think that, um, you know, oh, I wouldn't have done this or I wouldn't have done that, but there's definitely been a handful of times where, you know, you kind of t- retrace their steps and put yourself in their shoes, and you think, man, I, I probably – I might've made all those same decisions and ended up in the same place. So um, yeah, I like to, you know, reflect on all the calls that I'm involved in and um, definitely some hit harder than others and some, you know, to have, have bigger takeaways than others. I think, uh, you know, one of the first ones that, that really stands out to me um, I can't remember the year off the top of my head. It was probably four or five years ago. I'd have to look back, but we, we responded to a missing person. Um, this was not actually, it, it ended up being a search and rescue call cause it was in the back country, but it started as coming into the, to the ski patrol. Um, and so the snow safety office responded, um, and a gentleman had been skiing, um, by himself and, and didn't make it home when his wife had expected him to that evening. So, with a little bit of research, the ski area was able to find out that his car was still in our parking lot at the end of the day once we had closed. Um, and you know, it was it was pretty slow getting the ball rolling. But I, I remember very specifically. I actually um, I was playing hockey that that night in Park City, and I hadn't heard anything yet. Um, but we had we had not called a control morning, which is what we do. You know, if we're expecting heavy snowfall or increased avalanche hazard the following morning. Mm -hmm. Um, The forecast for that night was, was for, you know, a couple inches of snow, nothing that wouldn't be manageable at a regular opening time. So um, I remember very vividly walking out of the ice rink in park city and it was, it was pounding. It was just nuking snow. And I remember thinking, Oh man, we're, we're going to be up against it tomorrow. Um, We come in quite a bit earlier if it snows, you know? So I, I remember, I came home and I packed lunch and I, I didn't even really go to sleep. I just, I knew we were going to probably around three o'clock in the morning. We were probably going to start, we were probably going to start working on, you know, getting the ski area open for the day. So I, uh, you know, I came home and packed a lunch and sure enough, my, my boss calls me and I remember I kind of answered and was almost teasing him a little bit about this, you know, the snowstorm and how we had under forecasted and, um, He was oddly very serious and i just remember him saying uh you know we have a missing person we need you to we need you to get in here as quick as we can and so you know i start driving into work and i i'm kind of thinking it through in my head on my way in and you know remember this is at at three o'clock in the morning and when we had left that evening at five as far as we know everybody was accounted for and so i was i just was racking my brain thinking man how could we how could we have a missing person between five o'clock at night when we left and now at four o'clock in the morning? Um, and so as we got there and we had kind of put all the pieces together, it turned out this individual had been, you know, skiing in the backcountry by himself. He had used one of the backcountry gates that we were talking about. And um, that that storm had rolled in. And so we really, we had no visibility. It was really cold. Um, we were focused on trying to get the ski area open, but at the same time, there was a group of five of us that were kind of tasked with starting to try to piece this thing together and figure out, you know, where this individual may have gone, where he ended up. We didn't know if we were responding to an injury, to an avalanche accident, or we we really had nothing to go off of at that point. Um, it ended up, you know, really stuck with me. It was a really interesting call, you know, both in the way that it, it had started originally. Um, and you know, the, the challenges that the, the current weather had kind of put in front of us and, you know, our inability to use helicopters or anything like that, we were stuck, you know, with mostly skis at that point, we tried to use snowmobiles where we could, um, but the first twelve hours of this call ended up you know being really challenging we We obviously tried to you know use some of the the things that we have at our disposal with cell phone pings and things that that the cell phone providers are able to help us with um with no real accuracy so It really ended up being a a needle in a haystack for the first 12 hours until we finally got some visibility where we were able to use some helicopters. And we ultimately identified two different avalanches that we thought were likely areas that maybe he could have been skiing at that time. Um, And, you know, having no luck trying to, to locate any sort of like cell phone or anything like that. And the ground search we were able to do for the first day, um, we felt pretty confident that these two avalanches were where we needed to start looking. And we were able to, you know, from there, the the following day, we got the the weather we needed to to fly and get up to the ridgeline. And we were able to, it took a pretty extensive amount of control work with explosives to safely get our crews in there to start searching. Um, and kind of luckily we, we sort of picked the right of uh, the right one of the two avalanches to search first. Um, you know, and, and, I very vividly remember, so, you know, our plan was, we, we certainly, we were over 24 hours on this at this point when we finally had, you know, deemed the area safe for us to travel in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we, felt like it was a really low probability that we were going to get a signal with an avalanche beacon or any sort of electronics. We felt like at some point we were going to need to start bringing in some, some dogs. Um, but our, our plan was to kind of work our way down the avalanche to the, to the toe of the debris and just kind of start to check the, the easier boxes, if you will. So we, our plan was to do a beacon search to the bottom and then start, working our way back up from the bottom um, to bring the dog teams in and some of the other, other resources we have at our disposal. And, and I remember as we made our way down about two thirds of the way down the debris, um, our beacons all actually started to pick up a signal. Um, And so, you know, at that point, fortunately um, that helped speed things along and we were able to, to locate this individual with a beacon, which, I thought for a number of reasons was unique in that one, he was skiing by himself, which begs the question if he was carrying, you know, all of the appropriate gear that you would carry for a partner rescue situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, just the function of time worried that whatever electronics he did have on him were likely dead at that point. It, it was very, very cold for those couple days. Um, so, you know, obviously a, a very unfortunate outcome in this particular call, um, but it, it was interesting in that he, he was a very savvy, well-known person in the area. Um, and he did have all of the right gear, you know, maybe with a partner, the, the outcome would have been a little bit different, but we were able to use, use the beacon to, to find him and, and recover that individual.
0: Yeah. Well, that's been, some of these end up being stories about recoveries more than rescues, but that's a really kind of hits home takeaway that you really should, this activity, you really should always be out there with another person. Um, Definitely. And because even the most experienced people could run into trouble. So, no, thank you for sharing that. Um, So I am a little curious. You brought up that you guys have, the, the cell phone companies make like a ping service available to you. And so if I'm somebody out there and I have a cell phone, I mean, now I have the iPhone 14, which has the um, yeah. satellite network and all that. That's actually why I got it. It's because I spend enough time in the backcountry that it's like one fewer devices I need to own. If my cell phone has that on there, it just makes it easier to not have to I at least have some option. But if I'm a user and I have a phone and I'm out there, I mean, is there anything I can do to make that tool that you have more helpful for you?
1: You know, the the phone specifically is really challenging because with the exception of these new iPhones that have this really cool new satellite-based feature, um, the, the pings that the cell phone companies are able to provide us are only going to be as good as the signal that they're receiving. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately for us, the, the phone companies are very good at understanding the accuracy of the pings that they're giving us. So the nice thing about it is oftentimes before we're even up on the Hill, we kind of have a pretty good sense on whether this is going to be a high probability area, or if we're sort of just, you know, looking for a a needle in a haystack. Um, Oftentimes like you hear the term triangulation a lot, and that's, that's true for this as well. If the, if the phone can hit three different cell towers and they can ping the phone um, off of multiple, towers and triangulate its location. They, they can get fairly accurate location data. Of course, other limitations being when the phone was last powered on, when it last had service, all, all of the things that we fight with our phones on a daily basis. Um, so there's not a lot that I think us as the user group can do to make the phone in and of itself more effective because, as you well know, oftentimes the places that we recreate are, you know, limited or no service. So, so you're just kind of at the mercy of that. Of course, um, you know, like the iPhone feature that we touched on is great, but there are, you know, like the, the in-reaches and spots, the satellite devices that are probably still a little bit more reliable in that regard.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned that you're heavy into snowmobiling too. You do search and rescue out of the out of wasatch county i imagine in addition to like the ski rescues have you ever had to go out in the on the snow rescues for snowmobilers
1: oh yeah yep that's definitely um here in our county that's still what you might call our bread and butter i think the the number one call if you broke it down across you know a 12-month period is is a lot of snowmobile based rescues um you know, whether that be, obviously avalanches are, are less frequent, um, but certainly that's a user group with the the machines becoming more and more capable as time goes on, yeah. um, the ability to get farther and farther back into the backcountry and into new terrain that maybe you're less familiar with. Um, yeah, we, we go on, you know, out of the hundred plus calls a year, we go on, I'd say, you know, close to 50% or more of those, uh, end up involving snowmobiles, especially in our County in particular.
0: Yeah. And I, I think I mentioned my grandpa owned a helicopter business and he got really into snowmobiling too. And he said, snowmobiling is a great sport. Everyone should do it, but you should only do it if you also have a helicopter (laughs) to come rescue you when you need it. That's a, Um, it's a good rule. And there were some times where his own company he'd call his pilots or something and be like, "Yeah, I'm out snowmobiling here," and or like radio him in. I don't know how he would call him back in the '80s and '70s, but somehow he got rescued by his own helicopters for at least once or twice. <laughs> there um, you go. So, what are there any specific snowmobile rescues or areas like? Kind of common issues you run into. It says you sounds like you've had been on a lot of those calls. I mean what are some things that you've learned from going out on some snowmobile rescues
1: Yeah I mean you know of course you kind of you can kind of break them down into to a couple categories right like obviously with the the more and more powerful the machines get the faster people are going and the the more extreme terrain they're getting into there's certainly the the opportunity for injury which is kind of one category of call if you will and then you know maybe maybe more common or equally as common now today with, with the technology is, is folks that are just getting lost or turned around. Um, so, you know, the the big takeaway for me uh, on all of these calls, whether it's, you know, a side-by-side in the summer or a snowmobile in the winter, the winter really stands out because you're not necessarily on trails and roads. So it's a little easier to lose track of kind of where you came from or where you're going, but it's, it seems like these these calls very rarely are like a lightning strike, if you will. Um, you know, it's a series of smaller events or smaller issues that have occurred through the day that ultimately, um, you know, culminate in, in one larger issue that then requires professional intervention. So, you know, I think the the big takeaways for me are we very rarely... Are looking for the overly prepared people, um, and it's it's not even necessarily that they're experts in the terrain or you know that they're riding in their backyard, if you will, or areas they're really really familiar with. Um, that doesn't seem to to be enough to keep everything on the rails when stuff starts going wrong. I think the big takeaways in these rescues for me is you just, you simply always need to be prepared. Like we talked about with the individual um, that was wearing all of the appropriate gear, but didn't have a partner with them. You know, the, the folks that carry, uh, you know, a way to communicate with the outside world, whether that's a cell phone or a radio or a satellite communicator of some sort via text. Um, And then, you know, A way to start a fire, and you know bivy sack, ways to build shelters, like the the really basic, low hanging fruit, the things that everybody should be carrying with them all the time. That seems to be more when we get involved. It's it's not necessarily that people don't know the terrain. Um, You know, you get into to really terrible visibility situations, um, and even the the people that know the terrain better than anyone else can can get turned around. And the next thing you know um, you're headed down a wrong drainage or you've taken a wrong turn. And I remember a few years ago, we, we went on a call for a a gentleman that had left a cabin up here in the Heber area and was riding out in the current Creek area. Mm -hmm. I think he had actually headed over from, from like Lake Creek over to strawberry to grab lunch. And on his way back, he got turned around that, you know, storm rolled in wide out, Um, and he got turned around and he ended up heading down the West fork of the Duchesne rather than coming back towards Lake Creek. Um, you know, and, and hadn't taken any, had all the gear, but hadn't taken any of it with him because his plan was to just, you know, it was a nice bluebird afternoon. He was going to buzz up the trail and grab Mm -hmm. some lunch and come right back. Um, and I remember when we got to him, um, you know, he was wearing jeans and some, like, okay boots, but not the kind of boots you want to spend the night in or walk any distance in snow. Um, so, you know, like, obviously, all the all the appropriate gear was kind of hanging on the hook in the cabin. Um, he almost lost both of his feet, really severe frostbite on both mm-hmm. feet. Um, long, cold night. I remember, you know, we, we looked all night, but the the same storm that got him turned around, limited our ability to cover a whole lot of ground. So um, by the time we found him in the the middle of the next day, um, it had been a really long, really long, cold few hours um, for this gentleman. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the takeaway for him and, and for all of us was like, he had all the gear and he knew the area really well, just in his mind, he okay. wasn't planning on going and getting into some epic situation. And so, I know for me, a takeaway I get for a lot of these is I, I kind of have my kit, if you will, that goes with mm-hmm. me, whether it's summer or winter. And it takes no effort to just throw that pack on or throw it in the back of a side-by-side if you're in the summertime or whatever. Um, you know. And in that off chance that something unforeseen happens, um, you're going to be a whole lot happier that you have it than you know wishing it was with you if it's home on the hook.
0: Yeah. And I would say, so with this guy, it sounds like it was also unforeseen weather. Yep. Um, and that I imagine, I imagine that's gotta be a pretty like 20 to 30% of your calls in that part of this state.
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you think about hunting season, you leave salt Lake and it's 65, 70 degrees and sunny and really nice down there and, um, you know, you get up here and it's maybe in the mid fifties and then all of a sudden you get a little turned around and it's dark. And next thing you know, it's a 30 degree temperature swing and you're wearing a cotton t-shirt hiking around, um, you know, in the mid thirties and, and all of a sudden what was a pretty, pretty laid back mellow day becomes quite challenging.
0: Yeah. Is that something like that's happened probably in the fall? For Definitely.
1: You? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that seems to be a a yearly occurrence that somebody's, you know, up hunting or spotting or doing whatever they're doing and one minute all's well and the next minute somebody's separated from the group and they have, you know, no way of communicating, they have no water, they have no jacket. Um, Yeah, it's, I mean, as we know, uh, the things that draw us to the mountains that we all love about them are also the challenges that they can face one minute it's nice and sunny and the next minute you can't see your hand in front of your face
0: yeah no, i can tell you i've been in the mountains in july and had a hailstorm that was so significant it felt like it looked like it had snowed there's a few inches of white stuff on the ground it wasn't actually (laughs) snow falling from the sky but once it accumulated that's what it looked like i think this year we had some pretty early snowfall in october in the high country in utah and yeah. I watched it get down into like the twenties and the teens and some of the, like, I watched like the reports that Brian had and some of the other places. And so it's that weather exposure is a common theme and people tend to not think that through. And especially if you're like, especially in the summer, I, that's something we've run into with other folks we've interviewed is someone will get out in a side by side and it's the desert in Emory County or Moab or somewhere and it's 70 degrees in the day. And then if a storm comes in and it gets dark, I mean, that can drop 40, 50 degrees sometimes, depending on what happens during the shoulder seasons, which is the best times to go in some of those areas. Um, So let's kind of get to the final leg of this. Um, I want you to think through if there's any other experiences Um, let's, I want you to think through the summer a little bit. I mean, I know a lot of what happens up in that country is the winter. You mentioned kind of the side by side crowd, and I assume there's some dirt barking and thing that that some of those things go on there. ATVs. Um, the other thing, I guess, you're near Deer Creek. Do you ever get out and do the water rescues with?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's uh, in the summer months between Jordanell Deer Creek and Strawberry. That definitely keeps us
0: the most busy for sure yeah just going people boating and things going wrong boating yep yeah any of those experiences come to mind where like i've i've gone boating a lot in my life a lot of our brc members now are boaters because we've done a lot of work on lake powell this last few these last few years with the water levels getting so low sure wanted to influence the water management policies in the west and so from the boating rescues you've been on where you're like everyone who boats has has had an experience where something went wrong. Like it's just part of the sport. Um, So why don't you, why don't you think about that for a second? Is there any of those that come to mind?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah. I mean, water, I guess, even in any form, whether we're talking about snow or in its liquid form is kind of the great equalizer, right? Um, We always joke that mother nature is undefeated. Um, And I think, you know, it's one thing for something to go wrong on land, but um, yeah, whether it be, you know, a river or a lake, you, you certainly realize pretty quick who's boss if if something goes wrong. And um, yeah, unfortunately, we have a, we have a number of of incidents that we respond to. We have a pretty unique sonar system on our team. So we actually will respond all the way down to Lake Powell for um, drowning victims and things like that. So. Um. Yeah. You know. It's again. I think it just comes back to to the same deal. You just you're better. You're never gonna wish. You know that you didn't have a life jacket or that you didn't have a way to start a fire. Um, because it it, in the blink of an eye something can go really wrong. And um, you know, Strawberry especially is a really interesting body of water, and that it's you know it, it basically. 8,000 feet or above, um, where those temperature swings we were talking about happen pretty readily. Uh, we responded to, a to a call just earlier this year that, um, it was, I believe six people on three paddle boards, um, no life jackets and, you know, they're, they're paddle boarding out in the middle of strawberry and it's a beautiful sunny day. And next thing you know, the wind's blowing. 35 and they've all six been blown off their paddle boards and are trying to tread water. And all of a sudden it's four foot white caps and um, you know, you're cold, you're tired. Um, fortunately they were, they got kind of blown all over to um, the Island over there. And we were able with one of our boats to respond quickly enough that we were able to pick all of them up. But you know, that was a, uh, that was a matter of minutes on that one for sure um i remember you know one one call that really sticks out with me a few years ago we had we had two individuals um that had were kayaking on strawberry in early november and a nasty snowstorm actually rolled through they had a dog with them or they were in a canoe rather and uh okay. they had a, they had a dog with them that tipped the canoe over um again neither life jackets Neither had life jackets. The dog was able to swim to shore, um, you know, and unfortunately it took us two days to to locate and and then ultimately have to dive and, and recover both their bodies. Um, and the same has happened with, you know, our motorized user groups as well. Um, you know, somebody falls off the boat and the winds blow in one way and they're going the other, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, water, water in general can show you who's boss in a big hurry.
0: Have you ever had to do rescues for like ice fishing or things like that? Or does that, like, I know that's pretty popular up on like Jordan and Deer Creek. Probably yeah. So strawberry. Fortunately, um,
1: I can't recall a time that we had somebody go through the ice, which would be its own challenge. Um, yeah, that's, I was but,
0: curious. Cause it just seemed like that'd be like a crazy rescue if it had happened, but it seems like.
1: We, we do train for it. So we do have, um, we have a group of us that are on our ice rescue team. Um, so we, we do, we train for that possibility because, you know, you see people out there with snowmobiles and trucks and big, heavy machines out on the ice. But um, so typically what we, we, re- we respond to in the ice fishing world are, you know, either medical incidents, somebody with, you know, a heart attack or something like that, or you know, a broken bone or, or things like that. More of a, more medicals. Okay. I, I can't think of anything in my time that somebody actually went through the ice, but yeah, that would, that would provide its own set of unique challenges for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just thinking through if there are the other things I know about this area, but uh, well, I appreciate you coming on the show and I appreciate you sharing your experiences. And I think, hearing from the search and rescue guys, the people that are going to be the ones that come rescue you and having them tell you what they wish you knew is really valuable education information. And so I think that is a, some good coverage of how search and rescue works in Wasatch County and in these high country mountains of the Wasatch. And I assume you get out into the Uintas as well. You were talking about to Creek Creek. Oh yeah. Um, yep. And so we thank you for what you do. And I'm assuming Wasatch, county search and rescue most of the search and rescue departments we talk with do have like their own fundraising I mean, they, they are all a lot of times all volunteer have some support through the sheriff's offices in the counties but i haven't talked to anybody yet who has a search and rescue team that has just the most flush government budget ever yeah. they're always looking for more resources and help um, so where could people go if they wanted to if they recreate in your neck of the woods and they want to support what you guys do
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we're, we're certainly not a, not an exception to that rule. Um, you know, our, the sheriff's office takes really good care of us and we're lucky to, to have a good sheriff that's a great boss and supports us. But of course, um, you know, budget is, is a challenge for all of us. So we certainly rely heavily on, on donations and things like that. Um, if you, just, if you go to the Wasatch County Sheriff's Office page, there's a link to the, the search and rescue team from there um, and all of our info is on there, yeah.
0: Okay, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. I always like to encourage folks, to, if you haven't donated to your local search and rescue team, it's something that you should do. And that says a lot because I work for a nonprofit too and we survive almost entirely off of donations. And I mean, we want people to donate to us, but I tell people what we fight for, which is for people to be able to use and recreate outdoors and have it be open to the public. Without you guys out there supporting them when things go wrong, this could become a really something that is an adventure and a benefit and something I think the public needs become you guys make it work. And so I think everybody should be supporting you guys as well. And all the other search and rescue departments that we've interviewed. So we'll promote you. We'll put your links in our post. And so people are aware where they can find you. And, and we appreciate everything you do. Any final last words? I mean, maybe one tidbit of advice that you wish every person you've rescued. Uh, maybe there's something that's universal that you're like, man, if, if only people knew X. <laughs>
1: um, no, I think, you know, the the big thing for me is um, kind of like I had touched on already. You're, you're never going to regret throwing that extra... Thing in your pack you know and the the ability to we we talk in the avalanche world a lot about being searchable and i think that extends far beyond avalanches and that goes into any time you know if you know you're going somewhere that doesn't have great cell phone reception um, think about you know if something goes wrong how you're going to communicate with us or the outside world and you know, uh, uh, something as simple as like the little mini InReach or the all the other satellite locators that are out there um can cut the search time down from hours and hours and hours, or potentially even days. To it's just a function of we know exactly where we're headed, and we have to figure out how to get there. And so, if if you have that, the, the two things I would never leave home without is my my InReach, a way to communicate with the outside world, whether it's for good or bad, and you know, a, a way to start a fire. I think if, if I have those two things, I can at least be comfortable knowing that somebody on the other end is coming and I can stay warm while I'm waiting.
0: Yeah. And fires are visible. Um, I yeah. remember in, in Cub Scouts, I, used, I remember learning about if you're lost and it's like this kid had written SOS with rocks and this old <laughs> video. And I'm like, we've come a long way from that. We shouldn't Definitely. have to do that if we're prepared. Yeah. Uh, I like your phrase, the searchability, like it started making me think of like search engine optimization, but search and rescue optimization. Like if you optimized your, like we want our websites to be findable on the internet and somewhere like the high Uintas can be just as big of a mess to get found in as 4 million terabytes of data on (laughs) a bunch of servers. but yeah, probably a um, little colder too. So search and rescue optimization, like things you could do to make yourself more discoverable in the the vast emptiness of our public lands, which is absolutely what, what makes them fun to go into. And so
1: yep. stack the odds in your favor.
0: Well, good. Well, thanks for your time, Tyler. Thanks for being here. I know you've been busy and you've been, it's the snow season's kicking into gear and you've got a lot to do. So we appreciate you taking the time and hopefully the information we shared tonight makes someone's life a little easier in case they get into a bad situation. So, Yeah. Awesome. Um,
1: thanks for having me.
0: Hopefully you never have to encounter any of our listeners and they all just go out and recreate safely. But I know if they do, they'll be in good hands.